All right, we are here. Uh, I am live here with uh, Rob Hirschfeld at the OpenStack Summit. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. You're listening to the GC On Demand podcast. Thanks for listening. And uh, it's really cool because it's not often we get a chance to record on the road. Uh, so, uh, you know, welcome, Rob. I want to get you to introduce yourself uh, for folks that don't already know you're at Zeekle on Twitter. Um, maybe start with explaining that as well, uh, but tell us about yourself and introduce yourself to the audience. Eric, thanks. Hello. Um, I'm excited to be here. OpenStack Summit has so much energy. It's fun to be able to share some of that uh, with the audience and, and sort of try and capture you know, sort of this hi the great history we have. Zeekle for me starts with my passion about electric cars. Um, and I actually picked up the Twitter handle uh, for an earlier startup uh, one of the ones I'm proud that we actually stopped starting stopping starting a startup is hard is is hard stopping a startup is even harder, um, but we were doing electric car automation and so vehicle is zero vehicle so it's a it's a um, portmanteau of of zero and vehicle. Nice. So, so it, it's it's been a fun summit. You know, uh, I've been to I, I can't remember now like five of them. You've obviously been to a few yourself. You know, as as we've seen the evolution of the summit as well as OpenStack as an ecosystem, you know, I wanted to kind of go back in history with you and have you walk me through, you know, where you got started with OpenStack okay. and you know, how how has it gone according to plan and how has it shifted from maybe what the early visions of of OpenStack. I know it's that's a very broad question, but you know, like so, sort of where where did it start? How did you get involved with OpenStack to begin with? Wow. Uh it's been an amazing history and it's fun because we have we have had, you know, I think some things we've accomplished, some things we haven't. So my history with Dell, with, with OpenStack starts at Dell. Uh, I was working on a special team doing hyperscale data center solutions. So, you know, working, you know, basically the next tier down from the Facebooks and the Amazons and Microsofts. Uh, we had built hardware for them when we were looking for software solutions that, that would help them. And we did 10 solutions inside of one year. It was a crazy, crazy event, wow. bringing, bringing up different opportunities. And uh, we'd been working with Rackspace a bit in some different areas, and they invited us in even before OpenStack. They were pitching the idea of starting this project. Uh, at the time, we were, we were promoting Eucalyptus. Uh, Eucalyptus had some scaling challenges. So for, for people in the audience who don't know that history, Eucalyptus it was and is uh, one of the open source cloud projects that emulates uh, Amazon's APIs. So right. their design was to be very Amazon-like. It was a reverse engineer. Uh, and so at the time, there was a lot of concern for Rackspace that they couldn't use the Amazon EC2 APIs because of trademark. They didn't want to use VMware's. Uh, VMware was pushing a vCloud API or a right. cloud API. And so there's a lot of concern about cloud APIs and independence of them and, and things like that. So my team at Dell really wanted to find a scalable solution that would have broad market appeal uh, and that wouldn't be too vendor affiliated because we, of the 10 solutions that we had brought to market, eight of them basically ran into problems because they were vendor Based. Right. And we lost uh, the vendor, they got acquired, or that we had trouble dealing with them, or we couldn't get license turns. So the idea that there would be an open source alternative was a very, very attractive thing for us. So we were very quick to get into the OpenStack initiative when, when Rackspace proposed it. And the idea that it was the NASA, this NASA project. So people need to realize uh, OpenStack, the, the infrastructure service piece came from a team out of NASA. 
ultimately that that team got acquired by Rackspace, who's right. Answer Labs. Uh, a lot of those original founders aren't even in the project anymore, uh, interestingly. And then Rackspace contributed their object storage platform, which was Swift. Right. And so those two things came together as sort of this project entity formation. And then the idea was that we were going to create a very loosely uh, sort of a community approach. So it was incredibly important to the founders and, and Dell in, in this way is founding that there was no corporate owner for OpenStack. Um, and that has been part of our vision. It's been a big part of the way the community has evolved. It's also one of the challenges for OpenStack. So right, this yeah. whole, you know, we have all these silos of projects and the silos don't always get along. They don't always talk to each other. Uh, that was a governance choice going all the way back. Yeah, and you, you really have to. It's you have to go with the fully open, which, you know, just like free market, you know, concepts, it's, it's not perfect. It's pure in that it is fully open. It's not perfect in that we still have problems. Like it's, there are still challenges we run into, but the conceptual that you've stuck to it and the foundation has stuck to it. And I think the contributors have been good to recognize that open is still the focus of the way that we interact in the community and in the, in the product, you know, or ecosystem, I, I would say, more than product. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a funny look. Uh, and so I think that it's worth sort of decomposing what open means. Because we're going back five years, and a lot of the companies involved in OpenStack didn't really even know what open source initiatives were. Right. right? We, were we were really groundbreaking at Dell from an open source perspective. Right. We were something besides Linux. That was about the, all they understood for open. And OpenStack took on a couple of definitions for open. There was a huge desire to have open infrastructure uh, or open cloud, which would be open source, multiple multiple vendors collaborating and participating, and, 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 right. and they could all run it without license restrictions. So that's, that's definitely a part of being open. The community also adopted this sort of open source, we want to be a community you know, we want to have all open technologies. And they sort of went beyond just creating an open infrastructure into being an open community and having really principles-driven approach. And that is at times at odds with delivering the software. Right. Right. Uh, the choice of building, you know, Garrett, the, a lot of the CI, CD pipeline, a lot of the tooling that needed to be built for OpenStack, we built rather than bought because of this always open philosophy. And so I think that when you, when you look at the community and what we've done, you, you can sort of see two different tracks here. And sometimes we've paid the price from a delivery perspective by wanting to have everything open and have, every, you know, have a completely open source based infrastructure. Yeah, and it's not only on the technologies and the and the product side and and process as well, but as we know, you know, as people process technology with, with everything and you know, Mirantis, the the slide that came up and it was nicely nicely phrased that, you know, uh, success in OpenStack is one part technology and nine parts people and process. I mean, it's effectively the same with anything, especially cloud like infrastructure of any kind. It's it's wrapped around how you consume that service, but creating it's another beast altogether, right? It is. And I think that sometimes we've put that open value over utility, right? We've certainly done it over over operability. When we came in, uh, and, and that's going to sound like a, de- you know, a, con- a condemning statement, I, I think it's a fair statement. Uh, and it's important to me. I was a board member for four years. Yeah. 
uh, it was, it's important to me to be very honest about where we stand with the community and things we've done. When Dell started, we weren't a software company. We weren't trying to be a software company. Um, so we didn't expect to be contributing to the core projects. Uh, but we did have some core skills, which were in operations, right? Those 10 projects we brought up really taught us about delivering hyperscale software into different customer environments and the operational challenges for that. Uh, unfortunately, it was very hard for us to get the investment and sort of get ahead of that conversation in OpenStack. Uh, and so that was, that's been a challenge. And sometimes this always be open has driven, you, driven the community to use tools or have to write tools uh, and not be able to partner with things that they didn't perceive as open enough right. or multi-vendor enough. And, and that, that's been a challenge. And so I think that in looking at OpenStack, I think we can be very proud of the community and the people. And, and I love the people. It's a great community. At the same time, I think we need to look back and say, wow, sometimes we've gone astray from the delivery aspect that would help us build our ecosystem right. and making us easy to use and fast to consume and very operable and you know, maybe those things, you know, I wouldn't call them shortcuts. I would, I would say that we've, we've prioritized the open aspects of building this infrastructure over the uh, implementation support of building an open ecosystem around our software. And that's, those are trade-offs that we sort of make as a community in different ways. Is there a thought that if, I mean, generally open ecosystems, you know, what's the chicken and egg, right? Did OpenStack, you know, and it's growth and, and the size of the ecosystem and contributing you know, corporations and individuals would had did it cause more open technologies to be visible you know we of course we've got docker we've got you know mm -hmm. linux you know it's got all these you know starnix derivatives and core os is really doing neat stuff if openstack had started three years later do you feel that maybe the focus would be a little bit different and more aligns to what you said is maybe closing it a bit just to make sure that we can build it as a true feature focused delivery and you know focus on delivery as well or it's always tough like obviously yeah. it's a hypothetical right <laughs> it's, it's a great question i think one of the challenges for openstack is that we're teaching vendors how to play in open source communities collaboratively and it's, it's a learning process for the people. It's learning for the organizations and, and how we monetize this. It's actually a learning process for the customers who want to consume open source right. and, what, and understanding what they have to pay for and where they need to say, well, this isn't free software. It's just open software, right? Free is in its free communities, not free is in cost. And so I, I actually think that OpenStack has accomplished tremendous amount in that dialogue and conversation and the commercialization of open source software, which are critical to success. Um, and if we'd waited three years, the things that you're talking about that are coming in into these markets where people understand the commercial model better, we wouldn't have, we, we had to lay that foundation. Yeah. And so there's been tremendous gains from open source, open stack uh, in this sort of com corporate open source mentality that I think we're, we're going to look back five years from now and be like, wow, we really did something important, even if the software is not being used. Yeah. Uh, and that's, a, that's an important component for all these things. I'm, I'm sort of a philosophical person from that perspective. And I think, you know, uh, you had asked me earlier a question about the, the goals from that first summit, right? right? The first Austin. And 
I love this idea of, you know, did we accomplish what we thought we were going to accomplish, right? I think we're behind on where we thought the tech would be. I think the challenge, the, the delivery of the software has been hard. Um, to me, the operability is still missing, and that's part of my, my, my startup and what we do. Yeah. Uh, and the community and the development that I think we've been really much more successful than we think. Um, and we're asking, you know, we're raising a lot of interesting questions um, around Big Tent and the way that that's proceeding, an ecosystem of, of software projects, and, and I spend a lot of time thinking about stuff like that too. Yeah, and that actually leads nicely. I was going to ask you about RefStack. You know, I know that's something that I was keen to see, and I've always thought that's a, a really great way to, you know, feedback into how is it being consumed, and how did RefStack come to be, and, and what was your sort of role in participating around that? The RefStack, and then the DefCore would be the... Oh, the, sorry, yeah, as well, I, of course. They're, I, they're, they're, they're companion things. Yeah. Um, so RefStack is this data collection where we, we measure all of the different infrastructures out there, and then DefCore is really the, the thing that decides what that, that benchmark is. Right. Um, and DefCore is a board process. It's, I, was, I was really spent a lot of years getting that. That is an official thing for the to do to measure different OpenStack interoperability standards. Uh, and so interoperability is a hugely important thing from, from an OpenStack perspective because it's not just one vendor. We have to be able to have users who have portability between. Um, it's been a real challenge, frankly. You get early adopters. If, if you start saying, well, wait a minute, that's not the way we use OpenStack. We consume it this way. Somebody's going to get hurt, right? Somebody's going to be told you can't do it that way. And yeah. generally, it's the first adopters who are the ones who are like, oh, wait, my cloud doesn't conform to what you all want. It's, and they get mad, and then there's fights. And, <laughs> and, and we know that. It just it takes a lot of willpower. Um, and I was actually at the summit presenting somewhat disappointing results where everybody conformed from an API perspective, which is a DevCore win, but implementation choices they made behind those APIs made o different OpenStack implementations not compatible. And, and more challenging, from my perspective, not compatible with Amazon. Yeah. And so when I look at this market, Amazon's the clear leader. OpenStack's a great community. We have a lot of vendor buy-in. But if we make it hard for users to move from open Amazon to OpenStack, then that just, they just don't even come. Yeah, and it's, so who is, I mean, we always highlight AWS is, is clearly a, 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 I will say a competitor in a way to, you know, how we want to get workloads and, and make them, you know, a new place for those to live. Right. You know, what else is out there that OpenStack's sort of up against? Uh, I know cloud. There was originally there was a lot of cloud stack versus open stack stuff. There were some open projects, yeah, and Eucalyptus. And... But what's what do you see as kind of other things out there today that are eating into the open stack success, maybe, in, in being able to to grow? So, from a competitive infrastructure as a service perspective, I don't see. You know, there is cloud stack and Eucalyptus and Open Nebula. There there are real alternatives out there for people. And frankly, back going all the way back to the first Austin summit, we thought APIs were going to win, and we needed an API. And now, five years later, I really don't think APIs are a barrier. I right. think it's okay to have multiple APIs and, and keep working like that. And so, I, I think that the mind share that OpenStack enjoys comes from having all of the vendors lined up behind it. I think that users would actually evaluate different platforms and could even pick you know, different alternatives and do that pretty safely. And that's a very real option for them. Uh, 
and they're going to make those decisions based on what they want to accomplish operationally. Right. People are going to be attracted to OpenStack because of the community and, and having a lot of vendors to choose from and things like that. And those are good. Uh, frankly, if somebody just wants to run really simple VMs, uh, they can buy VMware. They can buy you know, VMware is a very real alternative for doing that work. Yeah. So are these other platforms. So you have to figure out what you're differentiating on. And that's what makes it challenging, I think, is for people to define success. Like, when does OpenStack get considered successful? Because there's always, because it's, there's the big tent, there's so many things, there's a, a lot of folks have lots of things to pick on right. where they can say, well, but, you know, we've seen, like, Magnum really isn't mature, like, as if there's another container ecosystem that wraps into an IaaS platform that is mature and working. But, you know, how do we, how do we mark success in an OpenStack ecosystem. So this is actually one of my frustrations with Big Tent, is Big Tent has, is, this, is this process where we bring in all these new projects. It's very easy to become a member of the OpenStack um, project. My frustration is it really should be easy to become a member of the OpenStack ecosystem and not have to be part of the project. Uh, and I think it creates confusion for that. Yeah. Um, but what, what I think you're, what you're, I think the, OpenStack success to me is when we've accomplished a core mission, right? So when we have delivered a stable working IS infrastructure that everybody can use. A lot of the Big Ten stuff, I actually think, pushes the goalpost of what success is out into, into the never-ending future. Right. And so I think that that's one of the concerns, right? We, we are confusing what OpenStack is. We're confusing the success criteria for it. In a lot of ways, we're defining success as just Big eco, big community with a lot of vendors in it, and I don't think that's a good definition of success. Yeah, I mean, any and any corporate commercial product is going to fall victim to the same thing. If you were to look at, you know, the VMware ecosystem, they've got a a you know, whole swath of supporting products that wrap into their overall ecosystem, and each one of them may be, you know, ten percent implemented. So you could look at it in the same way and say, well, you know, VMware is not successful because they've only got so much of this and, and Microsoft and the same thing, you know, when, when Azure Stack becomes a legitimate available commercial offering, everyone's going to be leaping to watch it fail or move slowly because they, <laughs> it's, it's, there seems to be this almost TMZ like lifestyle we're in now in technology where we we're happy to watch projects tip over <laughs> and the fail. reality TV of, uh, yeah. I like it. And this is, I think that's entirely right. I think, you know, you're asking me who the competitors are for OpenStack. In a lot of ways, it's the next platform that makes OpenStack irrelevant. Right. Uh, you know, in the containers, we you know we think containers go to metal, um, and when that happens, I don't think OpenStack is positioned you know as the container management solution. So I think there's other alternatives out there, but it's there's no one right winner, right? We know there's mainframes still in market. So yeah, it, what we really feel like, and I believe this very strongly, that the right answer is hybrid uh, and acknowledging, so, you know, our, my data center will not become a monolith. My consumption of cloud infrastructure will not become a monolith. And OpenStack success is when it's a, a solid anchor for one of those types of workloads. Uh, and I think we're getting there. I, I see a lot of signs of success that we just keep expanding the scope. And I think that that undermines what we're doing. I would love to see a community forum. Cloud Native may be able to do this. The Cloud Native uh, Compute Foundation right. might be able to create a community where there's multiple competing projects and we can sort of see this evolution go on. Um, it's an evolving open source story and I'm not sure what the, exactly where, where it goes. Yeah, I was interested you know, with the Open Container Initiative as well. That was one that, you know, that, 
that's I think there's an XKCD it talks about you know we've got all these all these standards you know so we need to we need to come up with a unified we have 17 standards we need to come up with a unified standards and the next frame is like now we have 18 standards and open container there was a lot of worry that it was going to it immediately hit the wall it immediately was going you know too broad and they needed to be very targeted on what they needed to do attack and there was concerns they would never get there and then we actually saw that turn very recently and they did move the spec more accurately to you know the you know the right areas of focus within the technology and, and how to right. get everybody on board and it's tough in an open environment there's there's many opinions and many are right they're all right in their own way if and the funny thing about opinions and facts and consumption you know it's when you put that all together it someone has to lose and not lose but like someone's choices need to get compromised and that may you know deviate from their plan but going towards a single central you know collective core it's like politics you know nobody gets elected with 100% of the votes they get elected with 40 <laughs> and nowadays that's right and and this is where you know we really have a vision for composability right so from what i see the successful technologies are ones that do solve a problem really well right because you have metcalf's law where the more contributors you get the more expensive it is to sustain a project and right. so you have to find a, you know you have to say my work is is this thing it's well defined and then create ecosystems around you and so from our perspective and i see this terminology and market more and more right we're talking about hybrid but to make hybrid work, we must have composability. You have to be able to say, well, I made these choices and then be able to chain them together in a composable way and not be forced into, well, this only works on Ubuntu and with this software-defined networking, with this hypervisor on this cloud platform. That's not a, a workable strategy today. Right. And I think it's getting increasingly less workable. And so we really need to be driving conversations in communities around how do we make things composable? How do we build it so that... I've isolated my pieces in a, in a very specific way, and then I can change, I can change parts out, I can couple things together um, without creating this, a vertical siloed uh, solution. Yeah, and it's, you, if you just think of the scale of the number of projects and, and the, like how many challenges are being solved with different parts of the ecosystem, and then to come up with a unified way to you know, document them, create development frameworks around them, create project team management around it. It's it's humbling to see this, the size of the ecosystem and how it's scaled, I think, relatively well. There's a lot of cat herding going on, but, you know, like, how do you feel that the, the management and the, the governance portion has gone, given the speed of growth and the number of contributors? Hey, I, my preference would be to see OpenStack be a smaller thing. Small, fewer projects tightly coupled around delivering IaaS. Right. And that a lot of the things that we see in Big Tent are ecosystem and that they are really rely on a layer below them being rock solid, reliable. And so I'd, I'd rather see them decoupled uh, much more. And frankly, as a com uh, you know, putting on my, my commercial hat, if, if I'm going to create, if I'm going to bother creating software and it doesn't run on Amazon, Google, and Azure, which is 95% of the market. Yeah then I've really limited something. So we're creating a whole bunch of OpenStack, open source projects. If they only run on OpenStack, then commercially they're not really addressing the people, you know, our, our customers, the people we're talking to, they use all these platforms. Right. And so 
they're not, you know, you're, we're, we're really not helping them consume their infrastructure if we say, well, before you can use my product, start with OpenStack, yeah. right? Oh, wait, you're using Metal? No, put it under OpenStack first, right? You, you want to use, you know, Amazon? Well, sorry, we don't do that. I don't think that's a very productive answer for people. I think that, you know, what we really want to do is have a lot of utility where it's infrastructure agnostic. Yeah. Uh, and that is something that requires this composability, where you can solve a specific problem in a generic way. Uh, I think that's possible to do. Uh, and then you can then start working around, all right, let me put these pieces together. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to as well is, you know, outside of OpenStack, and it's, it's great, you know, you've got such a storied history in the community and, and in the ecosystem, and, and I'm glad to be able to have a chance to chat about that. But like, you know, stuff that you've got going on. Uh, I've been a fan of work you've done, you know, all the way back to Crowbar, right? That, that there was some really neat stuff on, on bare metal work that's going on. And it's that sort of unseen reality that's, you know, we're pushing a lot of stuff to bare metal and we need to do it the right way and, and right. still embrace that as a platform. And it's funny, we've, we're like bare metal hipsters now because everybody's trying to get containers on bare metal and like we're doing ironic yeah. to deploy into bare, like, you realize like, oh, there's legitimate use cases where bare metal is, you know, a viable or in fact, possibly the only viable solution for workloads, you know, and then of course that's, you know, formed into from crowbar now is digital rebar and, and that's evolved. So maybe let's talk about that and, and talk about rack in, you know, what is it that, you know, what you're doing there and what are the, the challenges that you're trying to solve? with with that ecosystem happy to do it in a lot of ways the challenges that we're solving are the ones we discovered five years ago right so we have the battle scars and that's you just keep you keep working <laughs> on that until you solve it and it's funny because i talk to investors sometimes they're like ah oh, nobody cares about metal everybody's moving to cloud and you sort of scratch your head and you're like you know every cloud is actually run on metal yeah. right the serverless compute thing which is lambdas it's it there's still servers there yeah they're just most, you know, you're saying, well, you don't care about the servers. And, and so that really is what you come back to. When we started working even before OpenStack and some of these other cloud projects and hyperscale work, what we discovered was operations were incredibly inconsistent across different uh, customer infrastructures. Even within the same customer infrastructure, their operations were very inconsistent. And what we, what we knew walking into OpenStack because of that experience was that the lack of consistency was going to translate into um, a very challenged operational environment, right? There wouldn't be a way to share installs. There wouldn't be a way to share upgrades. There wouldn't be a way to say, ah, I fixed it this way, and then help somebody else fix their problems. Yeah. And that's really what we've seen happen with OpenStack, right? The problem is not installing OpenStack. The problem is helping somebody create an operationally consistent environment that now is consistent enough that they can compare notes with somebody who does things differently, is trying to do the same task in a different data center. Yeah. And that's what Crowbar, Crowbar was a minimal viable product or an MVP where we sort of got through that but realized it was still too vertically integrated. Digital Rebar um, is effectively a third generation Crowbar. We used all those lessons learned but said, all right, we have to do a compositional approach. We have to say installing an operating system is actually composed of 20 steps. And those 20 steps are different in every data center. You know, 18 of them might be the same, but the two that are different are not the same two in, every, in each one. And so right. we had to take this operational approach to how to solve this problem. And that's turned into uh, really the, the, 
best uh, and demonstrably best physical infrastructure provisioning capability. Um, we're, we're now starting to demonstrate HA provisioning capabilities, which is really hard to do. Wow, um, yeah. yeah, with like enterprise capabilities like single sign-on and all, all this, all this great hardware automation technology, but it's really not hardware automation technology, right? It's really operational normalization that we do really well with that. You know, we've been able to focus on getting the hardware problem solved. And then the last year, we've actually extended that and said, wow, this, this technology has the ability to plug into cloud infrastructure and bring in cloud and start talking hybrid. Uh, and so we've been really moving uh, the, the scope from, all right, we nailed the hardware problem, right? API-driven hardware is very cloud-like hardware. Get yeah. that Amazon experience into physical. And then say, wow, wait a minute. We can actually start normalizing operational conversations across virtual and cloud infrastructures, too. So. And, you know, I like that we return to hybrid. It's a, it's a word that comes up a lot. And, and hybrid how we are seeing it today and how I've always envisioned it, and I imagine you have as well, is different than how a lot of people talked about hybrid. That hybrid was designed as this idea of like you have your on-premises data center and you have a similar system available in a public cloud environment and you literally like move workloads yes. back and forth as needed. And it really just, it isn't that way, you know. It, hybrid is truly a multi-cloud approach. Whether you know your you have an Amazon data center, that's how I always like. That's how I treat it in organizations that I've talked to. And it's like, don't think of it as this goes here. This like think of where does your workload go based on its demand and its needs and, and what satisfies that demand to, to run those applications. It, a lot of it to me is we want to make infrastructure choices not matter. Right? That's always been people's goal. It's always been the goal of cloud is I want infrastructure to disappear. And hybrid is sort of the, def to me, has become the definition of that. But it's not just infrastructure choice. What we find is people are hybrid in ops tooling. Yeah. They're hybrid in operating system. They're hybrid in container orchestration. They're, they're, they're multidimensional hybrid. And so, you know, I, I definitely agree. You know, people used to think of hybrid as I'm going to run my application in two sites. Uh, which is a valid definition, but what they found is, wait, those two sites are actually different. <laughs> they have different, all sorts of different criteria. And so, you know, we found the only workable definition for hybrid was to actually expand it into this multi-dimensional concept. Um, and then that took us back into composability, yeah. my word for the word for the year. Um, and then composability adds orchestration. So you would ask, what's Rackin doing? What's with Digital Rebar? Digital Rebar is an open source orchestration framework. Uh, very flexible design for this this operational decomposition. Racken is our startup that's uh, maintaining, facilitating, and then creating enterprise packaging uh, and extensions around Digital Rebar as a project. And how have you found the the conversations with organizations going now versus because you've like with any startup and anybody who's been in this. By the time we see it come to fruition, it's it's an idea that's been brewing for a long time, and, yeah. and sometimes it's a second or third iteration of it, and it's finally just getting noticed. But have you seen the conversations evolve where like it's making sense? You know, DevOps is no longer a buzzword, but at least a, a methodology people are adapting towards. Is do you see the elevation in the conversations, and people are getting it now? What you're talking about? Uh, very much. And so it's been a long haul for this, um, right? You, you, you know, there's tears running down my face as I think through the, <laughs> yeah. the, evangelism, the evangelism curve. But what we've really seen happen 
is that people have started to say, wait a second, I, I do this successfully in Amazon, right? And it's, it's always Amazon because they, they're the gorilla. Right. Um, but I'm doing this successfully. I'm able to automate things and, and describe my infrastructure as code and, and I can automate it and fast. And they're starting to say, why can't I do that in hardware? Why, why, why is that different? And, and really what our answer is, it's not. It shouldn't be, right? We should be able to have ops be ops, right? And DevOps is def- redefining operational automation. And so we're getting people coming up who are saying, well, I'm successful in the cloud. I don't want to burn down my data center, yeah. which is what has sort of been happening. I shift and lift to a cloud infrastructure. They're saying, I don't want to burn it down. There's, there's value in that data center. There's value in the metal. There's value in my operations teams owning things. If only they could do this cloud automation and bring it back. And so I think that in the last year, people have been slowly saying, wait a minute, I want these best practices, these cloud best practices to come back into my data center operations. And it's not just for metal, it's for OpenStack private, it's for VMware, it's, it's really this cloud automation concept coming back into every aspect of automation. Now now we're back to hybrid. Yeah. But that's that's the idea. People are saying, you know, I, I am not going to tolerate manual process. I'm not going to tolerate a server that, that stays up, you know, yay, it stayed up for five years. Oh, that means I didn't patch it. I didn't fix the BIOS. I, I haven't actually recycled that machine. I don't know what it's doing. It's been up for five years, but I don't know if it's useful. And we're trying to change that mentality because people are used to CI/CD pipelines now and fast turn on cloud and, and moving things up and down. And, oh, I'm lowering my attack surface if my machine is actually being re-imaged. Yeah. You know, I don't have the, the ransomware lurking on that server for six months. And there's a lot of good reasons for us to treat all our infrastructure in an operationally consistent way. And, I mean, a lot of it is finding the right abstraction layer in each you know, environment too, because that's one of the issues in you. We've got metal, how do you abstract metal to be able to manage it? Then how do you abstract whatever your multi-hypervisor approach is? Then right. cloud and see, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, and I like, I like how you're approaching it. So, Thank you. Uh, you know, we're, we're coming up to time. We could, we could go on and tell you if I had all day, I would record all day with you and we would just cut it up and I'd have a year worth of content. So Rob, thank you very much for, for, uh, coming on and, and talking about it. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the, the future of digital rebar and, and rack in. How do folks get a hold of you if they want to chat more and, and learn more about the stuff that you're working on? So I blog under my name, robhirschfeld.com. So you'll see my sort of thinking from this. Rack N is rack N, the letter N.com. Uh, digital rebar is rebar.digital able to grab one of the new oh, TLDRs. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited about that. So rebar.digital for the digital rebar project. Um, and then uh, that's that's pretty much the whole thing. And I'm Zeekle, of course, on Twitter. Uh, and so you can find me there. I'm, I'm always digging up interesting things. And, and I love to engage in conversations uh, on all of the media platforms. So. Excellent. And for folks that want to uh, hear more great content like this, of course, you can go to gcondemand.io and you can see the list of all of our uh, show notes and, uh, and guests. And if you want to find out more, of course, you can go to uh, the community site and continue the conversation. If you go to greencircle.bmturbo.com, we've got our great community growing there. Uh, of course, I am Eric Wright. I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter and look forward to talking uh, with you again in future, Rob, and, and with everybody else. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone.